my sermon outline this morning uh, scribbled in uh, illegible handwriting, I found a little note. It said, no BS today. <laughs> and then I remembered, <laughs> no adult Bible study today. <laughs> But we don't want any of that other stuff here either. <laughs> That's right, not here, not here. So uh, last week we started this series of sermons called Theology for Every Day. And we're talking about beliefs, right? We're talking about beliefs of Christians, beliefs of Protestants, beliefs of us as Presbyterians. Last week we talked about the Trinity. And this week we're talking about incarnation. Now incarnation's a, a, a big word. Incarnation is simple, though. It literally means in the flesh. Somebody says it's kind of like chili con carne, in the beans, or the beans in the front, something, I don't know. In the flesh. It means that when we're dealing with Jesus, when people 2,000 years ago were dealing with Jesus in the flesh, that God was present through him. That people were dealing, not just with a man. They were dealing with the presence of God. Now, I, I know. I mean, in our scientific world, in our world of social media, in our world of all knowledge about everything, this seems crazy. This seems crazy. The idea that Jesus... You know, might be a great teacher. That makes sense. The idea of Jesus might be a great reformer. That makes sense. The idea of Jesus might be the founder of religion. That makes sense. The idea that Jesus is the presence of God with us, that's something that doesn't really make sense. But that is foundational for Christian faith. Now, this is not a doctrine that we've pulled out of the air. I mean, we didn't grab it from the clouds and pull it down and say, oh, you know, somebody said, well... If we call Jesus the Son of God, the presence of God with us, then people are going to, uh, you know, believe him. He's going to have more credibility. That didn't happen. Nor did anybody sort of compare and say, well, you know, if we're sort of like other religious groups, then, uh, you know, their idea is that there's this deity that has relations with a human female, and the offspring then is called the Son of God, and Pharaohs called themselves that, the Caesars called themselves that. Bigwigs called themselves that. That's not what this doctrine is about. You actually, you actually couldn't have, have, have said this about Jesus if you didn't know it. Or if you were just learning about it. I mean, when Jesus was a kid, when he was seven or eight years old, playing with his friends that were making mud figures, you know, little... Mud birds, little mud animals. None of his friends said to him, Hey, Jesus, you're the Son of God. Here, zap these little figures and make them come to life and fly away. I mean, nobody, nobody did that. Why? Because the way this doctrine comes about, the way this belief comes about, is, is in the other direction. It's that first, we hear about Jesus. First, we dig in and we know Jesus. We get to hear what he said. Then we get to see what he did. Then we see how he died. Then we see that and hear that he rose from the grave. And then people begin to experience the presence of his, of his living reality. 
And it's only then that people say, oh, my goodness, I didn't realize. You are the Son of God. The book of Hebrews that Phil read just a few moments ago, it, it was written like in AD 70, so 50 years after the events of Jesus. But did you hear all the language about, about Jesus as Son? I mean, huge, exalted language in this early passage. But listen, this, this comes after 50 years. 50 years of hearing the stories of Jesus, 50 years of reflecting about what he did, 50 years of thinking about how he gave himself for those who were excluded, 50 years of, of thinking about how he confronted the inauthentic religion of his day, and then 50 years of seeing his voluntary suffering and death on the cross, and 50 years of experiencing the presence of Jesus alive in this world. And so here's what it says. And I'm reading from a different version than Phil. But verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. So it's after the fact. That's, that's the way faith always develops, though, if you think about it. It's always. It's you and I. You and I have to hear you don't have to do some exploration for ourselves. A pastor can't tell you. A preacher can't tell you. You've got to dig into the Bible. You've got to find this out for yourself. You've got to find out who Jesus is. You've got to find out what he did. You've got to find out what he said. You've got to see the way he lived. You've got to see the way he died. You've got to experience a little bit of the difference that he makes in your life. Then you know. Perfect example of this is the story of this uh, Jesus walking on water. Matthew 14. Oh man, what a, what a story. It comes on the heels of the feeding of the 5,000 people from very, very little food, like two little fish, four little pieces of bread, right? And 5,000 men are fed, not to mention the women and the children. Just, just imagine being there. Imagine how excited you might have been. Gospel of John says that people were so excited that they literally wanted to take Jesus right then and there and to make him king, which would have been a terrible thing to do. It's the exact opposite of what Jesus actually wanted. And so instead of letting things get out of hand, what Jesus does is he sends the disciples on across the lake. He dismisses the crowd, and then Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. Now, he is there a long time. He's praying a long time because it's way after midnight before he leaves. I saw some research a few years ago. It said men speak 10,000 words a day. Women tend to speak 20,000 words a day. you believe that? But it's been debunked, actually, by, by women who are married. I heard this one woman who, who said, you know, if we speak 20,000 words a day, it's because we have to say everything twice. And her husband looked up and said, I'm sorry, what did you say? No, uh -huh, I see you. I see you. We don't know how many words Jesus spoke in that prayer. You know, the truth is, he was probably not speaking to God. He was probably listening. That's often the most important thing we can do in prayer. But what we know, he was there a really long time because it's not until the fourth watch of the night, which is like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., before he comes walking out to the disciples on the water. 
And they're out there a far piece by this time, so you know he's power walking to get out there. 3 a.m., 4 a.m., think about that. It's dark. Must not have been a moon. The wind's blowing a little bit. The waves are beginning to come over the bow of the boat. That's, that's the time when things get scary. If you've ever been on the water in darkness, you don't know your way, and the water's getting up, it's scary. It's scary. But there's something about that hour, that 3 a.m., that 4 a.m., that 5 a.m. I don't know how it is for you, but for Lynn and me, we kind of joke about it. It's like the time when if we're going to have anything to worry about, we're going to worry 3 a.m. in the morning. You know, if I'm going to worry about my health, or if I'm going to worry about her health, 3 a.m. in the morning. If I'm going to worry about finances, if I'm going to worry, you know, about some dumb thing I said in my sermon, I'm going to worry 3 a.m. in the morning. If I'm going to worry about my kids or my grandkids, I'm going to worry 3 a.m. in the morning. So a few uh, days ago, I read this psychologist that said, well, if you find yourself, you know, awake 3 a.m. worrying, feel filled with anxiety, then you just, you just take your anxieties and you turn it into a song. You use a familiar tune and you turn it into a song. So that's, that's what I did just a, a few days ago. And I was using the song Camp Town Races, right? So here's, what I, here's what I sang. I'll go crazy, then I will die. Doo-dah, doo-dah. Lose my teeth and lose my eyes. Oh, doo-dah day. Can't pay my bills. My car is over the hill. Want to eat, but I need to sleep. Oh, do da day. <laughs> do you know it did not help one bit? <laughs> in those anxious times, in those anxious times, it's like. Our lives seem so out of control. We can't see the future. We don't, we don't know what we need to do and how to get there. We just, you just worry. And that's how the disciples were. They were worried. Jesus had sent them off. They didn't know where they were supposed to go. They're out here. The wind's coming up. The water's coming up. They're scared. And in that fear, then, what happens? They see Jesus coming, and, and they fear the thing... They, they go to the thing they fear the most. They think he's a ghost. He's a ghost. And the Bible indicates that they scream. They literally scream in terror. Now, when I was in middle school, my younger sister would sometimes have her friends over, you know, and they, and they would play these games where they love to squeal and scream and scare themselves. Well, one night, I, I thought I was going to scare them. I got out, and I got an old mop that had white hair. I mean, well, it had white, so I didn't have white hair. It had white, uh, white mop. And I put this um, green cape around it, so when you ran with it, it sort of looked like there was something floating in the air, you know. And then I practiced my laugh. <laughs> and I did that outside their window after they had gone to sleep. And the girls got up and, oh, they started screaming. They were so scared. They were screaming. Well, what would you expect? I mean, they're middle school age girls. But the disciples? Look, these are burly fishermen. And they're scared out of their minds. 
Sometimes I think that's an image of what's going on inside of a lot of us. We're scared out of our minds. We're scared about change. We're scared about what's happening with health. We're scared about finances. We're scared about what's happening in the world. We're scared. Listen, it's, that's the moment. That darkness, that uncertainty, that's the time when Jesus comes to us. He came to the disciples in the depth of their darkness. And what does he say? He says, do not be afraid. Do you know that that command is the single most often given command in the whole Bible? It's given by prophets, it's given by priests, it's given by teachers, it's it's, it's the most common command. It's like God can't get that word to us often enough. Do not be afraid. In other words, saying, trust me. Do not be afraid like we need to hear. He says that to the disciples. Peter, loyal Peter, impetuous Peter, this Peter that wants to do right, he wants to be a good disciple. He says, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. He does that thing which science and all of our, you know, intellect says should not be possible. And he walks on the water until he gets back into his anxieties and fears, right? And he looks at the wind and he looks at the wave. And then he starts to sink. And Jesus, who has already saved him by saying, you don't, you don't need to fear, and, and it is I come to me. Jesus, who's already rescued him, now, now has to reach into the water and rescue Peter again. But he does. You know, in some places, another place in Scripture, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. Gosh, you know, we're lost so often. Our church gets lost. Our families get lost. Our communities get lost. But Jesus loves us so much. He, he comes to us always in those times of darkness, in those times when things are out of control, in those times when we can't make sense of it. He comes to us. Why? Because he wants to give us life. He wants to save us. He wants to bring us to, to joy and peace in the deepest possible way. And so Jesus came to them. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes I feel lost myself. I haven't really told you all much about this. But uh, you know, Lynn's got cancer. So now we're traveling that road that whole many, a whole lot of you have traveled and are traveling. We know some of those ups and downs. We've been at it about three months. Um, and needed to hear from the PET scan to know, you know, whether the medicine was effective, whether it's working against the cancer. And I'll tell you, it was. It was. Praise God. Thank you for the prayers that you provided for us. Um, but a few days before the scan, we didn't know for sure. And a doctor had kind of given us indication that maybe actually the cancer was spreading. So listen, at 3 a.m., you know, that's what I'm thinking about, right? 
But I do know enough to know that when I get anxious, I'm, I'm called to pray. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer, by supplication. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. And so I prayed. I mean, I didn't pray any more seriously than I prayed often about many things, but I prayed. And I prayed over the next several days. And as I did, I'm telling you, I came to a place of confidence. I had a sense that God was saying, look, everything's going to be fine. This, this is going to be a good report. You're going to be surprised at how good this And it was. You, you're going to be surprised. On the morning when we were to get the news, I got up and a verse of Scripture was in my head from Psalm 27. It says, I believe I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You all know that verse? You need to know that verse. It's Psalm 27, verse 15. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What a great verse to have. And I said, thank you, God. I was like Peter walking on that water, y'all. I was trusting. I was believing. And then it all fell apart because I looked at the waves and my anxieties got in there. And we, you know, we were sitting there in the doctor's office and we knew the moment the doctor would come in that we'd be able to see on his face whether it was good news or bad news. And then the doctor came in wearing a mask. <laughs> but it was good news it was great news think about it, what it must have been like for Peter and for the other disciples when Jesus grabs Peter pulls him out of the water grabs him to the side of the boat pulls him in and laughs at him and says why did you doubt oh you of little faith how do you think folks felt you know what the Bible says? It says it's at that point that they worshipped Jesus. It's at that point that they said to him, truly you are the Son of God. And that's how this doctrine develops. That's how this belief comes about. And it happened long ago so that the first Christians began to have this conviction that Jesus was more than a great teacher, that he was more than a moral leader, that he was more than a reformer, that he was the presence of God in this world. And it happens for you and for me again and again and again when we hear, when we listen, when we dig into the Bible, when we find out the truth about who Jesus is, when we hear his words, when we see what he did, when we learn why he died and how he died voluntarily. When we realize that God raised him from the dead, that's the conviction from the earliest days, and that you and I begin to experience some of the power of that risen Christ in our life. That's when we say, you're the Son of God. You're the Son of God. Here's my, here's my question. If that's, if that's who Jesus is, if that really is who Jesus is, and you have to decide for yourself, you have to think it through. You have to dig into Scripture. You have to pray over this. You have to wonder yourself. But if that's who Jesus really is, why? Why would we ever hesitate to take a risk for him? To, to step out of the boat, to, to do some things that we've not done before, to be a, a certain kind of person that we've not tried to be before. Why, why would we hesitate? 
Why as a church would we not be willing to go after things we've never gone after before? And we, we know we're going to have times where we doubt. We know we're going to have times where we want to give up, where we don't believe. But listen, every time that happens, Jesus just reaches out to us, pulls us up out of the water, laughs at us and says, Oh, you of little faith, come on, let's get in the boat. And he rescues us again and again and again. We've come to believe as followers of Jesus that this man dealing with Jesus means dealing with God. And so let me end by singing you a little ditty. So don't, don't go crazy and think you're dying. Do da, do da. Jesus has got you, and I'm not lying. Oh, do da, day. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.